way you guys are here, and I heard somebody throw makeup in front of, you know, candlelight, so everybody say, thank you. Um, today, we will look at, uh, first of all, please silence your phone, because we are recording. Today, we will look at the best known and most loved story in the entire Bible, David and Goliath. Is there anyone who has not heard this story before? So everybody heard this story before. Okay. It is one of the favorite Sunday school stories, and kids and adults all love this story because little David is brave and courageous enough to face down strong giant Goliath. This story is known as a heroic victory of an underdog. So people usually think the point of David and Goliath's story is that just like David, we have to have a courage to overcome the Goliath in our lives. But is that what this story is all about? Is the victory of an underdog all we can get from this story? So let's see if there is anything new we can find in this familiar story. First of all, let's look at the structure of chapter 17. Verses 1 to 11, the Goliath of Gath, the Philistine. And 12 to 30, David's Aaron and inquiry. And 31 to 40, David's offer to fight Goliath. <coughs> Excuse me. 41 to 54, David's victory. And 55 to 58, Saul's inquiry. So first look at verses 1 to 3. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokol in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephesdami, and between Sokol and Ezra. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with the valley between them. So the story begins with the setting of the encounter between Saul and Israelite and Philistines in the hill country about 50 miles southwest of Bethlehem. Each army took its position on a hillside facing each other across the valley of Elah. So here, Saul's camp and Philistine camp, and this is the route they flee after they lost. So, um, first of all, who are the Philistines? The Philistines were Greek sea people who left Crete and invaded Egypt for a while, but they were repelled. And then they arrived in Canaan, where they remained. So this is their route. So they, through Cyprus, end up in Egypt, but now they remain in Canada. So the Philistines have highly organized city-state system, include five towns in southwest of Judah. Gaza, Esplan, Ashdod, Ekron, and Gath, these five cities. And this area was known as Philistia, and this is the Valley of Elah, where this place takes place. 
<coughs> so the Philistines uh, expanded into their neighboring area and soon came into conflict with the Israelites. So in the time of King Saul, the Philistines were pushing further into Jewish territory. So they were pagan idolaters who worshipped each god Dagon. However, they were more technologically advanced than the Israelites. They had learned the art of working with iron tools and weapons, and they knew how to fight. Uh, after the Romans conquered the region in the second century CE, the Romans used the term Palestinian to refer to the region, region, not the people. And after that, uh, the Arabs who conquered the area and gave the region the Arabic name, Palestine. And after that, the English words, word Palestine came about. In the end, the Philistines were assimilated into Canaanite culture. So they eventually disappeared from the biblical record and from the history altogether. So the Philistines only leave behind the name Palestine as an evidence of their existence. So even though it is likely that some Philistine blood runs through the veins of modern-day Palestinians and the Jews, Philistines and modern-day Palestinians are totally different people with a different culture. Because I was confused about that, you know, so just to let you know. And so next verse is four to seven. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He has a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing five thousand shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spare shaft was like a weaver's rock, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shell bearer went ahead of him. So Goliath is called a champion. This Hebrew word actually means a man between, or a mediator. So ancient champion set a dispute between contending parties by what was termed campfire. The word champion here suggests the fact that from the beginning, Goliath was acting as the representative for Philistines. So here there are a long description about the size of Goliath and immense armor that he wears. The cubit means the distance from hip of your fingers to the elbow. So one cubit is eight, 18 inches. Span is the distance from the tip of your thumb to, to the tip of the little finger. So one span is eight inches. A shackle is about 0.497 ounces. So when we put this all together, Goliath is about nine feet eight inches tall. And his armor weighs about 125 pounds and the head of his spear is about 15 pounds. The Hebrew manuscript 
of Samuel found in the Dead Sea Scrolls described him as a four cubit and a span. So which means he is six feet nine inches. So some version of the Bible, if we read, said he is six feet nine inches tall. This does not change the fact that Goliath was like a human tank <laughs> compared to others at the time, and he was dressed to kill. <laughs> he was the point of this long description about his appearance is to explain from a human point of view how awesome Goliath is, how invincible he appears, so that no ordinary man defeat him. He was so well protected that no weapon can touch him. So indestructible and unconquerable Goliath, that is all soul and the Israelites see and feel. Okay, verses 8 to 11. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and lie up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servant of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and servants. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's word, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Here, Goliath proposed a battle. Instead of both armies putting themselves at risk, two representatives from Israel and Philistia will fight to the death. The nation of one who dies will become servant to the nation of the one who lives. In the ancient world, it is not uncommon method of limiting a full battle by seeking out a representative from each of two warring nations so we'll fight and decide the issue. The problem is, the Israelites has no one who compete with Goliath because they were intimidating and afraid, including Saul. It is important to remember that one reason that the Israelites asked for a king in the first place was that their king might go out before us and fight our battles. In chapter 8, the people felt the need for a king to deliver them from the threat of their enemies. Since Saul was a king who was expected to lead the army into battle, and he is the tallest Israelite, he was the natural choice to go against Goliath. Saul both fought and won many battles as the king of Israel. But this time, he was too afraid and did not accept the challenge. The major problem is not just Goliath's presence and his external appearance, but also said he set the rules and told them what to do. He was in total control. Saul was the king of Israel after all, 
So he could say notice proposal if he wanted to, but he couldn't. Goliath attempt to take the power away from God's people and exert total control over them. This is because the Israelites did not seek God and instead let the situation they were in paralyze them in fear. Max Lucado said, focus on giants, you stumble. Focus on God, your giants tumble. Now you know where the focus is. Goliath keep taunting and insulting them 80 times, every morning, every night for 40 days. In the Bible, 40 days is often associated with period of testing and trial. Goliath is a persistent bully who will never give up. So one thing we have to pay attention to is the key word in this chapter, in verse 10, defy. This word shows up six times in this chapter. Verse 10, 25, 26 twice, and 36 and 45. Goliath said, I defy the armies of Israel, which means he defied the God of Israel. Goliath is not just a giant from Philistia. His threatening word dishonors the God of Israel. This is the key point of the story. This is the main reason why David faced the challenge. Okay. Now the camera shift to David. He is introduced by a very different description than Goliath. Nothing is said about David's stature, his strength, or his weapons. He is the youngest of eight sons of Jesse, the Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, and he is a shepherd. So Jesse was too old to fight in the army, but three of his sons were in Saul's army. So Jesse wants to know whether they are safe. And he also wanted to know whether the battle was going well. So he sent David with some food for them to check it out. So David got other shepherds to look after his sheep because a good shepherd never leaves their sheep unattended. So as David arrived at the Israelites' camp, here comes this giant Goliath taunting the Israelites. As the army of Israel see this, they fled from him because they were terrified of his, this giant. Fled and terrified? Have not seen Goliath before? He had been doing this for 40 days. Look, I thought the Israelites might get used to him. <laughs> then the Israelites talked to um, David in verses 25-26. Now the Israelites has been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. 
David asked the man standing near him, What will be done for the man who killed this Philistine and removed this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So David discovered that there were great rewards for the man who killed Goliath. Well, married the king's daughter and no tax for their family. I like the last one. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of dealing with this Philistine bully, Saul is hovering somewhere, planning on material reward for anyone who will kill Goliath. David is irritated by what their focus is, while Goliath is openly defying the God of Israel. The Philistines are invaders in their land, which God graciously gives to the Israelites. God marked this covenant with them by the sign of circumcision. So now every Israelite male who had covenant sign in their body down there and stood there and letting an enemy encroach their land and disgrace them and their God. And notice the difference between what the man of Israel are focused upon and what David is focused upon. They said, this man. And David said, this uncircumcised Philistine. The Israelites are thinking about physical things about life. But David is thinking about spiritual things. Goliath's relationship to God. He's not one of the covenant people. He's not one of those in right relationship with God. In a sense, they are thinking about man. David is thinking about God. And they said, he comes out to defy Israel. And David said, he defied the armies of the living God. The word defy showed up here again. David recognized the fact that the Philistines God are the gods that are made by Philistines. They are the dead gods. But the God of Israel is not an idol, not an intellectual or theological concept, but the living God who is concerned for his people with whom he has made a covenant. Indeed, up to this point, David is the only one who mentioned the name of God. So instead of thinking of Goliath, David is thinking about the honor of God. They also said, the man who kills him. And David said, the man who kills this Philistine and removed this disgrace from Israel. The word disgrace has the same Hebrew root as defy. So his word removes this disgrace from Israel is an important point. So other soldiers focus on the danger of the battle or the material rewards. But David is focused on the shame that has befallen Israel and the Israel's God. 
and the reputation of Israel and the honor of the living God. This um, truly shows David as the man after God's own heart. He cares about the things God cares about. He saw the problem in spiritual terms, not in material or fleshly terms. So before even David began to consider confronting Goliath, he had to face opposition from every side. His brother rebukes him, and Saul tries to discourage him. It is like an instant, instant where you try to do the right thing, but everybody near you just puts you down. That is what happened here. Verses 28, when Iliad, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the man, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few ships in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Iliad accused David of coming to the battlefield for all the wrong reasons. He is irresponsible because he abandoned few ships, and Eliab was just David's character as a deceitful and wicked, and also he criticized David to come to watch the battle for entertainment. However, his accusations are far from the truth. First of all, David came to the battlefield for the right reason. He brought food for them. Second, Iliad criticized David for abandoning the flock and trivialized David's task in order to belittle him by editing the word few, few sheep, right? But in verse 20, David secured someone to care for his sheep in his absence. Third, David's doing and speaking what is right is falsely accused as a weakness, while Goliath's arrogance and blasphemy are minimized by Iliad. Fourth, Iliad goes on to accuse David, wanting to come and see the battle. What battle? They just stand there do nothing and listen to Goliath's mocking for 40 days. There's no battle to watch. And David went there to deliver food for them and check the situation for the, uh, their father's sake. So can you see how distorted Iliad's accusations are? Eugene Peterson explained, explained this way. The moment we permit evil to control our imaginations, dictate the way we think, and shape our responses. We, at the same time, become incapable of seeing the good, the true, and the beautiful. It is true, isn't it? So we know all those people who always take everything negatively, right? You know those people. Then, Saul also discouraged David because he is in his inexperience and he is outmatched. But David reminds 
soul that he has killed with his bare hands both a lion and a bear while tending his sheep. Then he said in verses, verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. I am sure when David faced the lion and bear, he was fearful. But he did not allow his fear to stop him because his faith in the living God gives him courage to stand against the beast. The courage is not automatically produced by itself. Okay, courage, come on, I need courage. It's not coming just by itself. Courage is always produced by something. For us Christians, by faith in God, or in the case of many sports movies, or an underdog team, usually by a coach's inspirational speech, so they eventually win. So courage came from something. So David applied his experience of previous victories over wild beasts through the strength of God to his present conflict with Goliath. What he emphasized here is not boasting himself to rescue the sheep, but boasting God. So remembering what God has done for him in the past made him not be self-confident, but be God-confident. So when David prepared to go face Goliath, Saul tried to put his armor on David. David tried to wear those things, but he realized that they were not made for him. They were made for Saul. He needed what was authentic to him. So he put on the whole armor of God, which in this battle turned out to be only a slingshot and five smooth stones. God equips all his believing people for their battle as soon as he inclined them into his service. So David was a shepherd. So he picked up the tools which the shepherds used. Speaking of five smooth stones, has anyone visited the Valley of Elah? Anyone? Did you get any smooth stone? I heard that when many tourists visit the Valley of Elah, they were so happy to find smooth stones all the way through the place. They took them as a souvenir and enjoyed them. Wow, these are just like David had. Well, I heard that actually once a week, the Department of Tourism <laughs> back up a dump truck and dumped the smooth stones all over the place. So maybe those stones are from China. <laughs> anyway, so what so what the scripture trying to tell us here? First of all, David's conviction that winning this battle had a little to do with armor and everything to do with God he relied on. 
Saul has armor, but he still cannot face the battle anyway. So it does not matter who has armor, but what matter is who has God. Which means we are not going to win the battle in our own strength with our own armor, but with the armor of God applied to our lives. Second, each one of us was made uniquely by God with our own unique spiritual gifts which are intended to be used uniquely by God. So you should not try to be somebody you are not or emulate other gifts, other gifts. But just be yourself. It's okay. Third, every battle in our lives is an issue of faith. Faith is not so much about recognizing the power you have, but rather about being willing to give up your own power and take the first step forward. That's the most important part. You just cannot, oh, it's God's doing, so we sit there and wait like Saul and Israelite. You have to take the first step forward so that God's greater power can come in and accomplish the work. So when David comes on the scene and hears Goliath, his perception is completely different from everyone else. This is a summary of difference, different perception of Saul and David. For Saul, views the situation from a human perspective. Look at the outside, impressed by glass size, and think he's invincible. But David views the situation from God's perspective. For him, Goliath is just an uncircumcised, loud-mouthed pagan. David never even mentioned Goliath's size. Therefore, Saul sees it as a conflict of the weak against the mighty. For him, it's an issue of strength. So he responds in fear. David sees it as a conflict between God and the forces of evil. So for David, it's an issue of trust. So he responds in Faith. Saul trusted in human method, so he tried to outfit David in his own armor. But David trusted in the living God, so he used a slingshot and five small stones, which was consistent with his faith in the living God. Saul also doesn't remember God's deliverance in the past. But David remembers God's deliverance in the past. So he has an assurance in the future. So looking back in faith enables him to look forward in faith. Saul is also concerned about his own glory. He takes credit for himself. Do you remember, the, if, remember in chapter 15? 
you know, after he won a victory, he said, set up a monument for himself. And in next chapter, Saul is angry because people praise David more than him. But David is concerned about God's glory. As noted in verse 26, 45 to 47. He gives all the credit to God, even when he won over a lion and bear. So as you see, the foundation of the problem is not life, but how to see life. The same goes to lives in our lives. Everybody has problems. The issue is not how big your problem is, but how big your God is. Okay, when Goliath sees David, he can't believe his eyes. Are you kidding me? Is this the best you can do? Send out this little boy to fight their battle? Goliath disdained David's appearance and also is offended by his approach, bat approach to battle so he cursed David by his God. <coughs> then David said in verses 45 to 47, which are the key point of this story. David said to Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the Is armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will struck you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of it into our hands. In these verses, David shows his confidence in God's confidence, because he knew the battle is the Lord. Goliath had not defied David's name, but he defied the name of God. So David knew God would defend his name. David declared God has two redemptive reasons for defeating the Philistines. First, God wants the whole world to know that he is in Israel and he has his power to deliver. Second, the method of God's deliver, deliverance is not sword or spear, but is in the name of God and his sling. God will give the listings into our hands means Israel's hands, not David's. So David makes it, makes it clear that his contest with Goliath is not merely a personal matter. He is fighting Goliath for the glory of God and on behalf of the nation of Israel. Uh, Max Lucado again said, no one else discusses God. David discusses no one else but God. David sees what others don't and refuses to see what others do. David majors in God. He sees the giant, mind you. He just sees God more so.
Okay, let the battle begin. <laughs> He's going from being a kid to being a warrior in that moment. He just bent over and he picked up five smooth stones and these he put in his pouch and he picked up his sling and he walked towards Goliath. And Goliath sees him and he goes, What? It was insulting, actually, to send, well, What are you sending us? young, unarmed, you know, the unprotected <laughs> uh, guy against me. The Philistine curses David and vows to feed the Israelites flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Smack talking is one of his fatal mistakes. <laughs> Never write it. That is one of the basic rules of fighting. David was listening and saying, okay, this guy's talking trash. And as soon as he makes a move, I'm going to put him down. And that's exactly what he did. He gets a stone of a quarter pound, and a sling can curl that at a couple of hundred miles an hour. It's a whip. You know, when you crack a whip, you hear that sound? That's because the tip of the whip is going faster than the speed of sound. The sonic boom is breaking the sound back. And that stone can hit with a great degree of speed and a great amount of force. According to the legend, all it takes to fell the giant is one shot. But for Goliath, the worst is yet to come. <laughs> he kills him with his own sword to add insult to injury. Then he goes finds his family and kills them. You know, David is seen as kind of this writing poetry and playing the flute or something. This guy is a killer. Around and talking about the cleverness of David, 
or the bravery of David. The focus of the chapter is not on David's courage, but on Yahweh's efficacy in David's weakness. David himself told us this. An interpretation that refused to see this steals the glory from God, which in this scripture he has designed to receive for himself. Hermeneutics can be hazardous. So hermeneutic means the theory and methodology of interpretation of Bible. The chapter will allow us to focus on David in one respect, to follow him in one particular, namely to share the vision of his faith, a faith that kept its eyes fixed on the honor of Yahweh. Hence, in this chapter, David essentially said to Israel and to us, so Yahweh's reputation is at stake. That matters to me. That matters enough to risk my life for it. Can we say that? Is that our vision, our point of view? What situations are there in our own day, in our own various world, where we can clearly see God's honor is at stake? Can we say that that matters to us more than our advantage? or reputation, or security? Can we? Think about it for a moment. The fourth, David, the anointed one of God, who received the spirit, goes out into the wilderness where an enemy is presenting himself before the people of God. 40 days, 40 nights. He crossed the enemy's head. And in the Hebrew text, it describes the enemy as wearing snake armor. Sound familiar? Yeah. Jesus baptized and received the Holy Spirit out in the wilderness. The serpent is presenting himself 40 days and 40 nights. Then Jesus withstands the temptation to bypass the cross and in doing that, crush the servant's head. So here, we are not David. We are the Israelites who are cowering in fear in the corner because we cannot face the giant on our own. We cannot beat our enemy on our own. So we need a David to stand and to defeat our enemies on behalf of us. David is a picture of Christ in the future. So, however you decide to look at this story, it's up to you. But one thing is clear, David remained with God as God remained with David. He knew God's promises and he trusted that God is good enough and God is strong enough to keep him. Keep them. So in the same way, God wants us to remain with him, and he will remain with us. Thank you.